guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Man, it's been a while since I started the podcast. Uh, we're going on episode 84 today, and I was able to finally track down a guest. I've been trying to get on the podcast for a while to give you some backstory. I've been calling this individual for, I don't know, a little over a year, and it started with some Facebook stalking. Then I did some web searching, picked up his phone number off the internet, and then I called him directly, and then he was a little bit like, well, I don't, I don't even know who you are. What are you talking about? And so this week, I had an opportunity to run up to San Jose and drop off a car that I had sold, and uh, I've been itching to get on the road because I haven't been able to get on the road since this whole uh, stupid thing's been going on with this nonsense, and uh, you know, car show's been canceled and all that. So I had an opportunity to run up to San Jose just to for a couple days. And I'm talking to my wife as we're driving through there, and I said, you know what? I'm calling this guy, Chris. I don't care. He's going to think I'm a stalker, but I'm coming over, and I'm going to sit down and get this dude on the podcast. And reached out to Chris, talked to him, and it just so happened that the uh, the moons and stars aligned. I was able to stop and visit him on my way up there to San Jose. I hung out with him and Betty, his wife, great people, uh, real hospitable to a, a random stranger that just shows up. Hung out with him for about two hours at least in their house, uh, getting to know him, talking to him. He showed me the Gia. You know, I had to work my way into it slowly. <laughs> and then I said, I'm coming back tomorrow. I'd love to sit down with you and get some history on this car. For those of you that don't know what or who Rod Buster is, Rod Buster is a 1969 Carmen Gia that is absolutely the most custom Volkswagen ever built. A lot of people see this car, they don't. They don't. They might not understand it. They might think it's it's something that's gone way overboard. Well, it is, and it's a car that was so far ahead of its time. Certain things like four wheel disc brakes that it had on at the time, a full billet aluminum chassis. It's a channeled chassis where the body sits down lower over the wheels. Custom A arm four uh, four way A arm suspension, four wheel A arm suspension. It's got, geez, it had a TV in at the time, a digital dash, all billet CNC pedals, no hump in the floor if you pay attention to the car, swivel seats, fiberglass dash, fiberglass wraparound dash that integrated into the door panels. The paint job was beyond comprehension because not only was it, was it a paint job with 3D biomechanical graphics, but the graphics were under the hood, backsides of panels, inside the fender wells, in the door jams. I mean, they were literally everywhere. And you owe it to yourself to go right now to letstalkdubs.com, go to the blog, or click the link in the description of the podcast to open the blog up. I got about 40 pictures in there. I'm also going to include a link to the Samba page where they talk about this car so you can understand the significance of this car. There's a lot of things that were done on this car back in 1986-87 that people didn't even start doing in the hot rod scene until 10, 15, 20 years later. Uh, one example are inboard F1 style shock absorbers that are cantilevered on a bell crank system. I mean, some of the things that were done in this car were so far over the top. And that was the name of the game in the international uh, show car association was go over the top degree of difficulty that's why the engine has fuel injection with twin superchargers i mean it's just it's non-stop the whole way through totally worth checking out all the pictures there's a few magazines that it's in 
So to really appreciate it, you can grip your archive magazines and follow along and look at the transitions. So the first one you're going to need is June of 84 hot VWs. You're going to need May of 85 hot VWs, May of 87 hot VWs, and also May of 2005. He has two Gias in the top 10 Gias ever built. So this is a phenomenal car. There's so much technology that went into this car that later showed up in the show, in the show scene later. But definitely something to behold. It's an unbelievable car. Chris is a heck of a guy. I mean, just a solid car dude to the core. He's got a fleet of really cool cars. And he only has one mega show car, and that's the Gia. So everything else he builds are really, really clean show cars that he drives and drives them a bunch. So a great guy. I consider him a friend now. Um, and uh, for sure, this is one of my favorite podcasts to date. Just so much history in this car and so much, uh, so, so, such a benchmark vehicle for our scene. So, and real quick, shout out to those drag races that are headed up to Medford, Oregon for Fast Four Cartels Fall Brawl that's taking place this weekend, man. Those guys are committed to drag racing and they're putting on one of the first shows on the West Coast. So, if you guys are for Medford, Oregon, head to the Fall Brawl put on by Fast Four Cartel. You can find them on Facebook. So, good luck to all those guys that are drag racing this weekend and take care. And for shout outs for supporters and people that purchase some merch, listen to the end of the podcast. Well, let's get into it. Episode 84, Chris Addington and the Rodbuster Gia on this week's Let's Talk Dubs. All right, so this day I've been waiting for a long time. Since I started the podcast, I've been getting emails for quite a while in respect to the most one of the most legendary cars that's been out there for a long time, and that's Rod Buster Gia. And on today today's show, I'd like to welcome Chris Addington. Chris, welcome to the show. Well, well thank you very much. So um, I've been pestering you for a while, and you got these random emails from a dude with a really long last name, and you're like, "Who, who is this guy? Who's this terrorist <laughs> trying to get a hold of me?" And I've been I've been on it, and this weekend I had an opportunity to run to uh, San Jose, and I thought I was talking to my wife. I said, "You know, I got I got to meet this guy, Chris. I gotta well, I got to get him on the podcast. We got to get the story of his car that had such a huge." Uh, it's such a huge benchmark in the VW scene. But before we get into the gear, into Rodbuster and all that stuff, we always start out the podcast with your VW story. How did you get into Volkswagens? Well, I got into Volkswagens is um, I was in college, and obviously I had a roommate who uh, just got a Z28 when he first came out. Beautiful, fast cars. And he had a 65 Volkswagen that he wanted to get rid of. And I said, hey, I could use that. I could. So I ended up buying it from him, and that was my first entry into Volkswagens, and it got me through a couple, three or four years of college, and it was a great vehicle for transportation. We uh, autocrossed it a little bit, didn't much show it, but uh, we just drove the heck out of it, drove it home a lot. Uh, just a great vehicle. It's an entry vehicle for me to get into Volkswagens. And, you know, with that, you know, a lot of the ways that we started into Volkswagens is out of necessity, but then there's something about us that that loves this underdog vehicle like you take it autocrossing which is like the most non-autocrossing vehicle for the most part right not that's a, correct not a bunch of them there so 
were you a car guy as you got into that and thought, well, shoot, I'll make this thing cool? Or how did you how did you start to pursue your car hobby? I, I've always been, you know, involved with cars uh, most of my younger life and older life. Um, my dad was kind of a gearhead, and I kind of followed in his footsteps. Uh, he could build about anything and could weld. He could do all those things. And he taught me a lot of those skill sets. And it was just a natural progression to, to get into cars because I – and I enjoy cars. I've always had tried to have nice cars. I have fast cars and cars that are fun to drive. And I have an affection for Volkswagens. I've always had Volkswagens. They've kind of been like, you know, I've always, I go different directions, but I always tend to come back to Volkswagens. And interestingly enough, you know, my limited knowledge, because obviously when, when Rod Buster was out and it was huge, I was, you know, early teenager, didn't even have a car then. And, and uh, you know, when I'm looking at, um, rod buster i look at that and i see rod buster and i see how far how far ahead you were in the vw scene and not just the vw scene because i don't want to i don't by any means want to discredit it that way you were so far ahead in the custom car scene i'm going to say as a, as a general thing with the with the billet and all that stuff the gear a lot of people don't uh, don't know that rod buster is its fourth incarnation is that right well absolutely and and a couple of years ago we repainted it again just for one event so that's that's rod buster 5.0 or actually 3.0 of rod buster <laughs> but it's the 5.0 for the car being re- rebuilt now what's the story of rod buster and how and and take us all the way back to the beginning of that car particularly wow back at day 1 um when I was going to Cal Poly, I measured, measured. Uh, I was in architecture at Cal Poly, and to pay my way through school, I built houses and remodels for people, and I hooked up with this uh, good friend over there, Joe Pope. He's probably passed by now, and I built him a house, and I paid my way through school, and when I graduated, of course, and he, he had bought this Carmen Ghia almost the last year I was working there and was driving it, and it was a nice car. I mean, it was kind of a plain Jane you know, just a vintage-looking uh, 69 Volkswagen, which was a vintage then, unfortunately. Right. And I graduated from college, moved to Bakersfield, uh, and we stayed in touch. And he says, call me up one day, says, Chris, I want to build a garage. And I said, I'll tell you, I'll build your garage. You gave me that Carmen Ghia. And he said, sure. So I built him a garage. He, buy, he provided the materials. I did all the labor to build it. Built his garage. He gave me the Carmen Ghia. And that's how we first got... The Carmagia. And I drove that while I was working for another architect for many years. Drove it over the grapevine all the time. It was just like great car, very dependable. Drove it everywhere, enjoyed it. And that was how I first got into it. And yeah. so uh, a lot of people see Rod Buster and look at that car and go, man, it's a shame a car like this has never had any miles on it. So the reality is you had a story with that car. I mean, you drove that car for years before it even became a show car. Absolutely. And really, the, the next, and what we did, I, you know, I lost my mind and I sold it to one of my best friends back then, and um, and he totally destroyed it. And I said, okay, okay, I got to get this car back. So I bought it back from him. Then I restored it back to original again. I mean, it cost a lot back then to restore it after he. And so, what it. year is this that you restored that? Oh car? gosh, this had to have been uh, late seventies. Uh, I'm going to say, yeah, late seventies is about right. So, late seventies is actually the first time the car is restored. Yes, back to original, and then when, and you're not known for being subtle on some of the things that you do, especially with cars. What when when it was first restored, you just did it to a stock spec level. Yes, we kind of kept it. 
you know, brought it back to original, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, that's, that was a look back then for that, for that car. And it was good. Then, uh, then we hooked up with a small Volkswagen club here locally, um, B-Dubs Limited, and we got to be a lot of friends with them and opened my eyes to what was going on in the Volkswagen scene and said, hey, you know, we'd like to be involved with this. Then, you know, we got the disease, you know, how the disease is. Yeah. Then, uh, then came the next generation was Brown's Gia. And remember Brown's Gia was all earth tones. RK shot it in front of this beautiful white building down in SoCal. And it really, I liked it. And it was kind of, the, the graphics were kind of like it was at that time in uh-huh. era. You know, we had to pull the pan off and detail the pan. And a good friend of mine was into sheet metal. So he gave me some copper and we did a copper engine liner. Which was kind of different. Yeah, the the engine tin instead of being chrome, it was copper. Copper, actually copper, and we did a lot of weird things. And then we, then we made our first dash. See, I used to sell. We used to own SKS. We used to sell SKS specialties. We mm-hmm. sold and fabricated fabric uh, glass dashes for all types of cars. And we did our first prototype with Brown's Gear. And that's the dash that evolved into the dash that's in Rodbuster. Well, yeah, yeah, and Rodbuster right now is a major prototype. I mean, we don't, we only have the one of that. I have all the moles, though. We only have one of that. But I mean, that's kind of the that it's the evolution of the original fiberglass dash you did for the Gia, where it kind of curved around two different pods, and something a little more custom, giving some depth to to an early Volkswagen. Now, so Brown's Gia is the level, the spec level on that car was like chrome bolts, painted pan, your average detail of that time. Now. And and maybe what some of the listeners might not know is, you know, Bakersfield is and was at the time, he, it, it, there were these epicenters where you started getting pockets of cars coming out of. And Bakersfield is known for a lot of hot rodding. Absolutely. And race cars. And yeah. we've got five racetracks here. It, it's a huge car culture here in Bakersfield. Yes. And yeah. so... And and I and I think that and I mean this is just from my opinion from your experience being around all these hot rods is some of the stuff where you know and there's always been this dichotomy of hot rod versus VW guy like they there was this mm-hmm. you know animosity between the two clicks, oh which, big time which is kind of ridiculous <laughs> because a car guy's a car guy right but when you take that that car and the and the Gia and you have it finished and you go to now, did you take it to a VW show down at the Jamboree or somewhere in Southern California, one of those Al Martino oh, we shows? Went, actually went to a bug-in, one of the last bug-ins. Okay. And, uh, you know, we went to our first events down there, and uh, it was well-received. Um, again, we were a different animal because we kind of in a little bubble up here, You're different right. from SoCal, and we kind of brought some new ideas and kind of shook them up a little bit that, um, hey, the bar is not where the bar is. The bar is like two feet away so right. get ready the bar is going to keep jumping and so after brown's gill what what makes you decide to tear the car apart again oh um we just you know we, we enjoyed brown's gear we mm-hmm. really had a lot of fun with it and we said okay we got to take this to the next level and we got to do something that's more radical something nicer so we we decided to go with the blue version, which was Crystal Blue Persuasion. Crystal Blue Persuasion was the... And now, Betty named it. Okay. Betty named it. <laughs> <laughs> and, Be- and Betty, who's not here right now during the podcast, but Betty is your partner in crime and she's been by your side. Absolutely. And, she's my fellow gearhead yeah, for and, life. And interestingly enough, what one of the... I think as car guys, we all look at things and we, we aspire for like that magazine feature or we... you know that's our That's our recognition. But you took things again to another level because... 
you're in the Johnny Speed and Chrome car wash ad and your wife is one of the car washers. So it's like that's yeah. now like a double whammy, right? I mean, it's one Absolutely. day to get your car in the magazine, but to get your car in an ad that repeats every month, it's like they can't get rid of you, right? So, Well, I'm going to tell you, I calculated it. <laughs> My car was probably printed about 40 million times. That's incredible. Because of all the, the, it was in so many hot VW magazines in the Johnny's Speed and Chrome ad. Mm -hmm. Of course, it was in their catalog. And of course, it was on the posters. And it got a phenomenal amount of coverage with that. And um, they did a good job when the magazines came up and shot it. And I was uh, was pleased that they did a good job on that. And they didn't, uh, and Johnny's was cool about it too. They gave me 100 posters, which are cool. And what about so so let's let's put this to rest. How many Johnny Speed and Chrome parts were on that car? Um we had a few. Not a lot. Well, you know, we back then at that version, uh, it was starting to we're starting to evolve that the trick things were to um reinvent things. Right. And it's crazy, which I know I've carried over to the hot rod world. What we try to do is make something unique that looks stock that you can't buy anywhere. Right. I mean, that's crazy. That's the look we go for now is how can we make something unique? Looks like it was always there and it wasn't added. Right. That's when you know you've been successful in adding parts. And of course, you know, we went through our share of the, you know, of the parts that you can buy mainstream. And we bought a few other parts, you know, especially the pulley parts, engine parts, and things like that. And Crystal Blue Persuasion then became a cover car. That's that's the car where you're – is it you standing next to it with a space suit? No, that was Robert Valdez, and Robert's still around. <laughs> and we shot that over at El Mirage with um, Lane Evans and R.K. Smith and um, took it out there and um, – Dusty. Oh my gosh. I had dust and ever crack well, and yeah, crevice for, in my body and the uh, car. And the condition that I see that you keep, because I was fortunate enough to get a tour of his private collection here at his house. And the condition in which you store and keep your cars is you respect your cars, you drive your cars, but they're they're kept clean and, and safe. Yeah. And so for, especially for a guy who I see the, the, the way that Rod Buster is stored, it must have made you insane to have that car completely covered in <laughs> Oh, I will tell you, I bet I found dust for six months afterwards, little cracks and crevices that we'd discover. And now, whose idea was the photo shoot? I believe it was Lane Evans, who was with Hot VW at the time. And um, I thought it was a cool idea. And, um, you know, I just, uh, that was a cool, that was cool. I was a good cool factor. And when you, when you finished Crystal Blue Persuasion, what were the benchmark items that you had done to that car that everybody was blown away by? Oh, we made our own, made our own front end. Everybody's talking about narrowing front ends and things. We narrowed our front end back then. And I don't know if anybody else did it. Hold on. It was a stock VW beam that you narrowed? No, we made our own beam. We sort of made our own. We took parts and That's pieces. That's what I'm saying, but it's the same torsion style VW front yes, end. Yes. And you, because I've been searching, honestly, I've, I've been, uh, you know, we, we were having a conversation on the podcast. I said, I'd like to know who narrowed the first beam. And we know that drag cars had narrowed aluminum beams or sand cars. They sometimes change the track. And I'm trying to figure out who narrowed the first beam, but you made, you reproduced a VW style beam for Crystal Blue Persuasion and narrowed it to make the wheels fit. Yeah, make the wheels fit and plus, you know, change it because I wanted to use a different offset wheel mm-hmm. and we're running like eight inch wide tires, it's not like cases. And so she wanted to be able to get the right offset and we deal with the wheels. And it was, uh, you know, we just tried to do something different. And of course, you know, when, when you're showing and, it, you know, it's like a disease. I told you this is a disease that you catch and, you know, you always want to keep, if you stay stagnant, then you're just going to be there and you're going to, that's the way it's going to be. But if you want to be a trendsetter and you want to be way out there, you got to keep 
innovating all the time. And that was our goal was to always innovate. And, well, you know, one of my one of my questions is, as I go back to this, and, and maybe I've got it wrong, but you keep going back to the same car, stripping it down and starting over. Why wouldn't you buy another five hundred dollar Gia and then build another? Because it's really the same process. I mean, if, yeah. I mean, other than the body is all straight, and and I guess really that's the hard part, right? The straight metal. If you've got straight metal, it's still an impo- I mean, it's still a huge task to take a car back down to metal, blow it all apart, rebuild everything. Because with crystal blue persuasion, you know, you've got the narrowed beam, you've got kind of the space age style. Uh, graphics on there a little bit. It's it's really kind of a you know a, a cutting edge deal. You finish that car. That car is like a, a benchmark car when that car gets done, and then apparently that's not enough. Well, you know we we showed at ISCA and we got a taste of ISCA, which is International Show Car Association, and we always had a show here in Bakersfield with ISCA and. We as being Volkswagens were always second class citizens. I'm sorry to say that they yeah. treated us that way. And I said, okay, we have got to have first-class treatment. And, okay, then we go to shows out of town. Then I got two things going against me. First, we're from Bakersfield, and right. they kind of give us – I'm sorry. That <laughs> has, it's a reality, folks. Those are farmers. Look at the farmers over there. Yeah, right? but, but we can we can build anything, though. <laughs> yeah, Trust absolutely. me. Don't be afraid of those farmers. No. Then, um, of course, being a Volkswagen you know, kind of put us in a secondary. I said, okay, the only way for us to be competitive is to be so far out in front of these people – that they're trying to catch us mm-hmm. and try to be innovative and think so far out of the box that you don't recognize it as a box anymore. And, and, and I'm, just, I'm trying to wrap my mind around that. Like you finish crystal blue persuasion, a car that stands on its own, even Brown's gear would have been a nice vintage collectible show car to this day. And then you decide I'm going to go ahead and, and go completely next level on this, which there's a lot to talk about with, with rod buster. And one of the things I wanted to clarify that people may not know, and, and I've learned from getting to know you, is you're a VW guy that later got into hot rods. That's correct. So a lot of people think when they, when they on the surface they see Rod Buster and they think, oh, this guy's a hot rod guy. But the name Rod Buster came about to kind of poke fun at the hot rod guys because you're going to now go, well, I, the ISCA is, is kind of their world. That's correct. And you thought, all right, I'm going to go in here with this car that everybody disrespects from Bakersfield, where everybody disrespects, mm-hmm. and I'm going to build a rod buster, and we're going to bust all these hot rods. Like we're going to make these guys sorry they ever picked on a Volkswagen. Oh, absolutely. And we were going to out innovate them. And I, I honestly feel that nobody will probably admit that we set some trends in ISCA. I, I think without without a doubt. I mean, we go from the part where like Brown's Gear is like maybe if you were going all out display, it was a velvet rope. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Maybe a, a gas can and some, you know, some of this other stuff. And then you go with crystal blue persuasion. And then that's another level of show display. And then now that you enter the, the ISCA world where some VW people don't understand, those are cars that are actually judged on a sheet. There's criteria for every aspect of the vehicle. And it's not like people's choice or this kind of stuff. There's a judging panel that goes and looks at every car and and they're picking these cars. So when you're so instead of building a car to you know what you like, you're building it to the criteria sheet, saying, okay, how can I nail every one of those categories? And you know that's the one thing that always offended me is a lot of people tried to build what the judges wanted. So we took an approach a little differently. 
Okay, we know the rule. First of all, you better know the rules better than anybody else and know the rules better than the judges know the rules. Now, what are some of the rules that maybe the VW people don't know about that, that is the difference in the ISCA stuff? Well, first of all, the car has to be able to be driven. And they'll actually, I've been spot tested all the time, even in this current form, where I got to be able to drive it forward and back. I got to be able to turn it. All the lights have to work. The horn has to work. Those things all have to work. Has to have all the safety features on the vehicle. Uh, it has got to be a, a vehicle that can actually drive. Mm-hmm. Can't be driving. You know, not going to drive it on the street and ruin it, of course. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the impeccable use of details. Important. They judge all the categories. There's no part of the car that's not judged. And they look for innovation. Look for level of difficulty. Um, but the most important thing is if you're going to do something, do it right. Because nothing makes you look worse in that world than doing something not executed properly. They, If you don't do something, okay, you, you may not get any more points, but if you do it wrong, you get negative points. Yeah. So the idea is do everything and do it perfect. Yeah, they, these guys, there's a, there's a Facebook page called, <laughs> it's called SEMA Fails. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's all about these huge show trucks that pull up and all this stuff, and then someone just goes and takes a picture of like, a shock bolt that's been welded together or whatever, just yeah. like the, the these be- big, beautiful monstrosities. And then like the hokiness of like these last minute things to yeah. crush them through. And it's funny because as you're telling me that I'm thinking of this page and I'm thinking it's a crack up on this page because you see these really magnificent vehicles and then like, Oh, here's a zip tie holding that together or whatever the case. Oh, is. absolutely. So, yeah. and, and, and in the mega show world where it's like show car guys, like, a lot of the cars at ISCA are not drivers. The majority of them are like show only type cars. You can drive them, but they're like the majority of the cars that are really playing vying for top dollar. They're like Riddler cars. Oh, yeah. Well, but I will tell you, I I have give a lot of respect to Riddler. I have of the Riddlers that I've seen, a lot of those are actually very drivable cars because mm-hmm. they make them drive them back there also. But of course, not to the sense of taking it on the freeway going 90 miles an hour. But I... Uh, the last 10 years, I will say that the quality of those cars really being driven has come up a lot. Yeah, I think they're more – I mean, the, the engineering has now caught up to where people can actually design CAD and engineer cars to be functional, not like, okay, it's got to go forward and back, and you got to turn the wheel – you get you, gotta, you know, you got a 15-degree right. angle. You can turn the wheel to, to rotate the car. It's a nine-mile turning radius, but you, you, you'll make a U-turn <laughs> sooner or later. So – now you've got oh, – I'm getting back to, to the gear. So you finish, you get the car done. What's the difference that you're seeing in the reception of how you get received at a hot rod show versus a VW show? What, what's the difference at that time? Well, I will tell you, we, when we did the Oakland Roaster Show, and I did it as Crystal Blue Persuasion, you know, we were well-received. Mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't we – we had a static display, which was a 10 by 20 static and we were well-received, uh, mostly by the VW people. Some of the hot rod world were good. But we took Rodbuster to the next level. We went to 10 by 20. We built a turntable. It was like 60 inches off the ground. And the energy to get a car up in the air 60 inches off the ground on a turntable, yeah. is that's a level of difficulty. And when they at ISC shows, they start judging you the day you drive into the show on the on on your tow vehicle. They dr- You're judged immediately. Start really? judging you. Yes, yes. And... I've had, um, then when we had that car in that mode, I mean, people were three and four people deep all around this 20 by 20 display. I remember one time when, um, Boyd Coddington came up mm-hmm. and, you know, he's, you know, I really respect what sure. he's done. He, he, he set where we're going in this industry a lot. And I have a lot of respect, uh, you know, especially in his early years 
when he's doing the Murray car. And I brought ours out when he was doing the Murray car and right after the Murray car. And it was a very well done vehicle. That was very trend sitting when Billet was just starting to really get crazy. And that's what kind of had an influence on us is, hey, Billet, okay, I see these guys are doing little Billet pieces and maybe they're doing uh, maybe a Kugel front end, some things like mm-hmm. that. I said, okay, how do I get to be 10 feet in front of these guys and get their respect? So when we debuted uh, the current Rod Buster there, and he came up and looked at it. He looked at it. He was impressed. He was he was complimentary. He says, well, does it work? And I said, of course it works. You know, I have so much droop and I have so much. I know we had it engineered since this is a race car community. Right. We engineered everything. We knew how much droop and how much uh, balance it had in the car. Uh, we had Fox racing shocks, inboard mounted uh, with the bell cranks and push rods. We engineered it like a race car. In fact, some of the engineering on that, uh, you, you all heard of... Uh, uh, Rick Mears, who, yes. who was an IndyCar driver. Mm-hmm. He's from Bakersfield, believe it or not. And the guy that was helping with my machine work knew him and worked for Roger Mears, who was the uh, the off-road guy. And they knew we were building this. They wanted to build a radical suspension on this car. And, and he loaned us one of his Penske tubs. So we had a Penske tub over at the shop for uh, a couple months to take all these measurements on. That's why on the back of um, Rodbuster, you see that we're running inboard shocks mounted horizontally above the transmission yeah, through bell cranks and push rods. Yeah. That's IndyCar style. That's how they did that. Absolutely. Well, and now you look at it. If you look at this now, 30 years later, Ring Brothers had a Mustang called Dragon, I think it was, that had inboard shocks that were cantilevered in the rear package tray. Mm-hmm. And the reality is you did that design back in 1985, I think it was. On yeah, the cover 80, of 85, 86, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 85, 86. So it's yeah. like people's minds are blown back then. And and I think part of the problem, you Corvaired it. And what I mean by that, we talked about the Corvair for, <laughs> for a bit. For a bit. I like Corvair. I love Corvairs. Yeah. And you were so far ahead of your time, no one understood it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yes. when people see Dragon and they get their head blown off and like, wow, I can't believe Ring Brothers really did this car up and it's got these inboard cantilevered shocks, indie style. Well, you did it in 85. Right. right. And so <laughs> the funny part is your drive was to be so many steps out in front of people. And I want to get into some of the details in regards to the gear because there's been please, there, please. there's been a million things. So now you now you blow the gear apart. You're getting ready to start Rod Buster. You I saw a rendering, a, a drawing of a rendering. I don't know who did the rendering. Was that a post or pre build? That was that was our. Uh, you know, I worked with a uh, a rendering person, mm-hmm. and I asked him to. Uh, I told him what what feeling I wanted to create. I wanted to create a feeling. This is all design is feeling you create mm-hmm. the feeling that people get when they see it. We wanted biomechanical. That was the look that I wanted, and I, I wanted. Unique flames. I didn't want flames. I wanted jet flames. Right. And jet flames aren't like regular car flames. It's not a hot rod flame. It's a jet flame. Right. And that was the look that we were after. And uh, and he, he captured that what I wanted. I wanted black roof, candy apple red on the paint. And he, he captured it well. And that was uh, Jay Werner. He's still around. I call him Flaky Jay, but I shouldn't probably say that. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, he, he's very talented. I have to give him an A for his talent. Well, I think like most artists, they're really, really, when they're on, they're on. Trying to pin them down is like herding cats. But, you know, I think, and maybe their freedom of um, of parameters enables them to be really 
artistic, you know, Um, you being an architect probably are a little on the analytical side and and really look at some of the details, you know what I mean? And, 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 And you start with confinements, which is interesting because as an architect, you also have that where you want to push architectural boundaries and you have to rely on engineering to push those boundaries. Yes. So same thing with the Gia. Now, when you, what's the first billet thing? Because clearly there, you had to get some inspiration somewhere. So what was it that you saw that was billet where you thought, oh, they machined that out of aluminum. Wait a second. I've got a lathe. I've got a mill. I can make whatever. What was the first thing that you saw that kind of, that, that triggered you to say, I'm doing all this out of aluminum. Like, what were some of the things that, because you were obviously around the hot rod scene up here, which is a totally different world than Volkswagens. That's right. But was it not, the hot rod scene did have an influence on me when mm-hmm. I could see this billet thing starting to happen where people were taking and making replacement parts to go on a vehicle to replace the stock part. And I hooked up with a local machinist and a couple of guys. Then we built our first, that front end I was telling you about. Had a lot of machining in that front end. It wasn't just flat bar and pipe. It was machined. It w- we created a piece. Not only was it functionally correct, we wanted to create a piece of art at the same time. Because you got to marry uh, art and engineering really are one with me. And you got to merge those together. So mm-hmm. we started there. And I started looking at the car back when it was crystal. What can I change and do billet things? So I started doing like torsion bar covers. And I, I we actually <laughs> cut... We actually, believe it or not, we cut the rear axles off at the tube, yeah. chromed them, and put them back, welded them back on. Wow. And, you know, people don't realize that, but we did that. And any part I could take off, like even the stupid little bolts that bolt the frame to the body, we took all those off and made them out of billet. And, uh, the, bolt, I, the bolts on the car billet? Not the bolt, the, pla- the washer oh, plates. the covers. Yeah, the little yeah, yeah. washer plates. And we tried to make a lot of, quite a few parts out of um, a billet. And I said, okay, we got to take this to the next level, which was building a complete billet chassis which was was which was the next level for us and, and that's insane because i don't know i don't think anyone's done one since the 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 rumor back in the day was there's a quarter million dollars worth of billet underneath that car looking at it if you were to go pay for it retail now i've uh, got that's that's conservative and what and and what and what i'm saying and, and i'm thinking there were Quite a few pieces. So you've got a little machine shop here at your place that, that I have the, luck, the opportunity to see. And you prototyped a lot of pieces. Now, because you're an architect, and this is the mid-80s coming about, CNC machining is is just on the beginning, the beginning front at this point. Well, you know, what was kind of unique was I hooked up with a machinist, and he had a beta copy of Quicksilver, which was the go-to CNC software back then. And of mm-hmm. course, being an architect, we understand just CAD was just starting an art business. And I said, I can do that. And he introduced me and you know, let me learn how to program parts in the Quicksilver software. And I said, hey, I, hey, I could go forever. I could, I could build a car in here. Give right. me enough time, programming time. So we finally ended up where... He would machine parts during the day, and I would program parts at night. <laughs> and it was great chemistry. Those that was, that was the great times, and um, really enjoyed those times. Really enjoyed it. Uh, like all relationships, eventually they they end. And uh, when it did end, and I said, "Okay, I still want to do this." So that's when I got my own CNC set up. And obviously, I know AutoCAD and a lot of the uh, softwares for doing those kind of things. So I look at a piece of metal right now. Okay, in that metal, there's a part. I just have to get it out. Right. You got to visualize it, then start how you can start carving it apart to get that part out of that metal. 
And with the, they didn't have a, a five axis was unheard of back then. And so everything you had to do, so I own a water jet, right? I selfishly purchased a water jet and my listeners are probably taking a shot because I bring this up every now and again on an episode. Nice tool. And and I own a water jet for cutting granite. And the only reason I bought a water jet is I thought, you know what? I might make car parts on the side. I've never made a car part to date because it's busy keeping up with my business. But, you know, you look at the water jet, when you buy the water jet, the things that you can build a three-dimensional dinosaur skeleton out of a water jet. The difference is... The individual who operates programs and puts that thing together, like everybody goes, oh, that's easy. Give me a water jet. I can do it. There's a big difference I've found in people that can look at something, blow it apart in their mind and make it all out of flat pieces and have it become something three-dimensional because you have to have the spatial reasoning or like a schematic type mindset where you can look at something and disassemble it in the ways that it goes together and say, okay, I've got a flat piece of stock. Mm-hmm. I need to make this out of that. So you're you're making those things to what's the first part you make for the Gia? Uh wow. Probably the hub carriers. Because the hub carriers were like started out with a piece of aluminum that was three foot square by sixteen inches deep. Wow. I mean the hub carriers on the back of the Gia are a solid piece of billet that we carved. And they, uh, that was probably the, the Bengals because that piece kind of driven the whole rear end suspension because, mm-hmm. you know, we had you know, like a four or five point pickup in the back with the uh, suspension system and building a hub carrier, which is kind of like the hub carrier in the back kind of everything else revolves around that. Right. It, I mean, it, it carries a majority of the weight. Yes. And all, and all, and all the side load and all that stuff, even though this car is not going to not going to be on a racetrack, it's probably built where you could actually put it on a racetrack. I mean, it's the pieces are strong enough and 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 uh beefy enough that's for sure when you built the chassis did you uh, did it start with you taking measurements off of the original floor plan and then putting them into like drawing them in cad and then breaking it down piece by piece to put it together because the chassis how many pieces make up the chassis Oh gosh, I, I'm going to tell I mean, you hundreds. Oh, I would say 50, 60 pieces. And see, the chassis started out with a um, we is a, uh, a spine. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the structure first. You got to have the spine, and we run it some. We run square tubing for the spine in the front. The original V, like the v, the VW has the wishbone right on yes, the middle. Yes, but but I have tunnel. a flat floor. You notice I did I don't not. have the hump. We don't <laughs> yeah. have a we don't have no hump. I didn't want a hump, so we we uh, built a spine out of tubing. And off that spine came ribs, mm-hmm. and these ribs went side to side. Now, as far as getting the contour of the pan, you know, we we pretty much we wanted to, we wanted to channel this car because if I was going to compete against full custom, I had to be channeled. So we wanted to channel the frame. The frame is channeled up in the body. And so, f- for some of you VW guys out there that don't understand what channeling is, channeling is on an on an old full frame car. What they would do is take the frame mounting points, recess them into the body, so you're lowering the body over the stock suspension, so the car is lowered without touching the suspension. So that's essentially what channeling is for you guys. Now, trying to envision that on a car with a pan means that the perimeter of the pan needs to be lowered past the spine. That's correct. Which is not an easy task. No, that was a challenge. That was a challenge. And yeah. and at the same time, we had to build a front bulkhead and a rear bulkhead. Because in a Volkswagen, at the where the transmission is at the rear, there's a bulkhead. So we created a big bulkhead out of an inch and a half material, probably with a piece that was a piece maybe 60, 70 inches long by 12, 14 inches high by a couple inches thick. Then we, then we machined pockets and all that. So it's got, you know, not just building it, but put some design into it. And, of mm-hmm. course, we had a front bulkhead. 
then in between that was the ribs and of course the design and probably the hardest part we had to get to go out physically measure was that little S curve in the front. Like, you know, a Ghia and a mm-hmm. thing pan, that little, yeah. little quirk in the front, which is different. And we just had to make that piece. Then my front suspension and rear suspension bolt bolted to the, um, uh, you know, the, the spine pieces and the bulkheads. So they bolt in like a complete subframe unit that yes. bolts in with like four bolts and the whole front suspension bolts to the bulkhead of the pan. I mean, similar to a VW front beam with the exception of it's two flat pieces coming together that, right. that, that square everything up and make it work. Now right. the front suspension's completely billet as well. I mean, oh, absolutely. It, the A arms are just, um, they're awesome. And just, again, everything we did, we had to put in level, you're also judged in the ISCA world's level of difficulty. I mean, if a guy takes, uh, say you have a, a push rod, a push rod is for us is from the, uh, you know, from the ball joint down to a pivot point so we can hook a shock to it. Mm-hmm. And most guys, okay, I'll just get a piece of uh, three quarter inch six or 775, which is a stronger aluminum for the push rods. And they'll do that. And okay, well, we took it the level difficulty. We tapered them. Right. They have a center taper and go each way. In the A-arms, we tapered the A-arms. Then we want a texture on these. So we took a ball in end mill and we offset it like 20, 30,000. So I could create a, a texture in the, in the aluminum. Just things, so it almost, everything was level difficulty. It, it looks, uh, does it look like a cast piece or is it, is it like the traditional billet markings? No, no. These are like, they're almost continuous. Cause it looks like, like a, a texture. They almost look like cast arms. Yes. Yes. A long ways from it. No, no, that, that's what I'm saying. I mean, when I looked at them, I thought, I looked at it yesterday when you showed me the car and I thought, those look like they're almost cast, but it's yeah. it's the printing that's on the it's it's the machining on the aluminum that gives the texture to take it away from being just a square bulky absolutely you know arm. And so the front suspension on that you had engineered here locally with with race help from race teams yes, and I had stuff a lot like of that put from those guys. Now then we had a problem that we ended up I needed a twelve inch rack. Now a rack you know obviously in, in rack and pinion steering mm-hmm. is the rack is. The thing that moves the uh, steering yeah, rod side to they're side. They're usually 18, 24 oh, inches. Oh, yeah, lots much. So we, we ended up going down to the Sprint car. I mean, a Sprint car guys here locally. Mm-hmm. They said, go see Schroeder down in SoCal. He built me a 12-inch rack, shortest one he's ever built. And we, that's our rack. We have a Sprint car rack in there to be able to get something small enough to fit into the design that we were doing. And the, the, uh, the spindles, okay, what do you use for spindles? Okay, what do the hot rod guys do? Ford. No, they go to Kugel and get Kugel stainless spindles. I'm running Kugel when they first come out. Oh, really? I have a set of Kugel stainless spindles. He'll probably never admit it they're in there because it's on a Volkswagen, but I am running Kugel spindles on that. So the ball joints fit right into those yes. from, from yes. what they have. And then yes. you have... Bearings and everything is boom, boom. And so that spindle's designed to take what onto it as far as a hub? Uh, we've, uh, we've got, gosh, I have to, I've, I forgot. I've slept since then. No, no, no. But I mean, yes, it, it would normally be if he bought I think that we, spindle. We, we made our own spindle. We made our own hubs. So you, you would just machine the hubs to fit yes, the bearings. We made, and we made we our want. own hubs. And the brakes on there, the, the rotor hats, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff came from. Well, believe it or not, you know where you can get some of the coolest brakes right now. People don't realize is performance machine, which is the motorcycle world. Performance Machine makes some of the coolest brakes. They make some some six pi- six piston brakes on these big bikes. Some of these big bikes weigh as much as the Volkswagen does, right? And especially the racing ones. But Performance Machine provided all of our. Well, I they didn't provide it. We bought them. We bought the uh, the calipers, the pads, and the uh, the rotors from, from them. And the rotors, believe it or not, what's crazy is the rotors fit on a Volkswagen hub up at the transmission. 
It oh, blew really? me away. That was just luck. I didn't really? have didn't have to remanufacture something. Something actually bolted on. Hold on. So you're talking about at the IRS hub at the yes, flange? The C V joints? The C V joint is the where the pattern is the same as the performance machine pattern, which I don't know how that happened. Because if if people aren't familiar with this, you'll have to get your issue of hot VWs out and look over this. It, and it's probably one of the first it's like a six or eight page feature in Hot VWs, mm-hmm. all color. Which that time in the magazine, you might have got one color photograph in the okay. picture. You know what I mean? Like one yeah. page or maybe two, you're pushing it. But you had, I mean, there was a ton of pictures of your car in that magazine when 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 Rod Buster comes out. And with building, I mean, this is such an undertaking on this car. What is the, I want to get back to the suspension a little bit. What was the total timeline on from the time you stopped showing it to the next time you debuted the car's Rod Buster? Oh, uh, we, uh, we, we did, we did ISCA one year and, um, I think we, we did really well as crystal blue persuasion. Then we didn't go to the grand finale. We were, I think we won the Pacific coast, uh, custom, custom category, which Mm -hmm. was cool. And I didn't go to grand finale between then and the following October, we built this car. The car was built in one year. Yes. One year. But I mean, I was, I was living on that car. Yeah. I mean, I'm I had li- no, I have no discretionary time. Then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you were working a full-time job. Yes. So yeah. it's like every living, breathing moment. And what, and maybe some of the stuff that people don't realize is this is so far before the internet where you could, ha- mm-hmm. like if you wanted a piece of plate steel today, a piece, a piece of billet, a block sent to your house, you go online, click a button, right. pay with your credit card. It shows up two days later. You got a 24 by 24 block of aluminum sitting on your front doorstep or you wanted to order tie rod ends, you get on order tie rod ends, break everything that you did. You're driving to California. Well, right. IMS, we had a counted IMS down in Burbank, which yeah. is industrial metal supply. And many times we'd have to make an early run down there to get it when they opened to pick up a block of billet to bring back to, to make chips in the day. And you got to go visit the break guy. You got to go visit. <laughs> I mean, and this isn't like, oh yeah, I found this cheat sheet online and this bearing cross references to that one. Like no. you really had to do your homework. So, I mean, no. the amount of time it took you just to figure out what bearings would work or what would fit was just, I mean, unbelievably, it had to be unbelievably exhausting. Well, I mean, the but, process and, and and you're so focused and determined to deliver this car mm-hmm. i mean and, and when you're building this car so you strip it all down you build the billet chassis which is a-arm front suspension four-wheel disc brakes you can't buy four-wheel disc brakes back this time for volkswagen yours got your car is four-wheel disc brakes you've got lateral cantilevered indie style rear suspension um, the transmission in that car is, it was a uh, racing transmission, four, Volkswagen, four speed, four speed, four speed. And, um, the engine. Well, you know, when, when I take a task on like this, you know, <laughs> we break it down to components, right? You know, we have the chassis components, which I was working on the chassis components mm-hmm. with a machinist who was a wizard, a machinist. Then I worked, had a person was helping me with the body, doing the body modifications. His dad was helping us build the, uh, the dash components. I was working with a guy down in San Diego to come up with the twin superchargers. These are twin roots blowers on there, not yeah. twin roots blowers and, and, and with and Bosch fuel injection. It hasn't been done since yeah. because I don't know if someone doesn't have the sense or they don't, they don't have the patience that you did to do that. Because, I mean, it's like that's that's I mean, you're doing this you know, 35 years ago before people are doing mm-hmm. I mean, they're not even doing this stuff now, but so t- 
talk to me about the motor. I mean, the motor in and of itself is, is, is there's a, a world of rumors around that motor, and especially in the show car scene. I'm sure you probably stood back there as people walk by. Psh, yeah, that thing doesn't run. There's no way it'll run. You can't drive that car. You, you've probably heard it all. Oh, yes. And I happened to be on the way up here. I was talking to my wife, and we're on YouTube, and there was a video that, that I'll put a little segment of uh, on, the, on the, um, the blog that corresponds to this podcast. But there's a video of you online starting from the 80s yeah. of yeah. you starting this engine because everybody said, like, there's no way it runs. It doesn't, you know, n- none of that stuff works. I mean, the motor in it of itself, walk me through, like, where this idea comes from, from this. Un- I mean, obviously, you go, like, hey, what could be difficult? A supercharger. Nope, not difficult enough. Two superchargers right. driven on two separate carburetors and then no tin. We motor. were fuel injected. We didn't have carburetions. It's fuel injected. So walk me through the whole right. the, the whole concept behind the motor. Well, the engine was a two liter, mm-hmm. and we got uh, one of the. I had a racing buddy as a dragger. Gave me a set of awesome barrels that went on there, and they were aluminum barrels. And I wanted aluminum barrels. So those are those are manufactured by a company that are not custom built. No, they're uh, they're manufactured, but but I machine. You know, of course. of course, once I get them, <laughs> okay, this is too plain. I gotta I gotta cool this up a little bit. So I I kind of tapered them like a Volkswagen would be, which you would never see on these. And then, right. I, then we polished it. Now we polished the case too. Yeah. A couple times. Uh, first time I polished it, um, I went and had it powder coated and it went, it turned to poo. Yeah. Powder, you don't, cause there's so much oil in the cases are porous and the oil all came out and turned to poo. So then I ended up um, repolishing it again. And I said, By okay, hand. what am I going to do this time? I said, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to be really unique. I'm going to anodize the case, which I didn't anodize it. I actually painted it with candy apple blue. With no so it clay. looks anodized. I tell everybody it's anodized. And they said, oh, that's cool. But you can't anodize that material. Right, because it, it isn't anodizing the same the same process as, um, is it the same process as chroming? or No, it's chroming? a different process. But it uses different materials in it. And it, it and the base, in the various grades of the metal make the color different. People don't realize right. that. You can't take a 661, 775 in the same batch. It'll come out different colors. So anyway, we um, we... We got the case handled, uh, got the barrels handled, the heads. We went and, and tuned the heads up and make the heads where the look we were after and get the good flow and good heads to start with. I think we were racing heads at that time. Then the, probably the hardest piece to make was the intake manifolds. Yeah. Nobody makes an intake manifold for a supercharger to a Volkswagen that I know of. We end up building out of a block of metal. We made our own intake manifolds. So you make you make your own intake manifold. Your own. What's the fuel injection? Where do you get the fuel injection? There's a Bosch fuel injection system. So it's a modified Bosch injection yes. system off of. Uh, I I don't I don't know the answer. I've just some, since then. just some four cylinder car. I, I can't <laughs> tell you. The guy that helped me with the blowers helped me find it. Then we had to make an air hat across the top. You see that blue air hat across the top? That was custom made. So, you know, we could. You know, it's called. That's where the air comes in. Mm-hmm. At the same time, don't forget you got to cool these things. I don't have a shroud, so we put a big giant oil cooler back in the compartment where the back seat was a big giant oil cooler in there so this thing actually would, would cool the oil so it doesn't heat then underneath the bottom I, if you look on closely on the photographs you'll see an area where there's vent holes in the bottom mm-hmm. that's where the the fans would blow through the oil cooler and blow out so this thing actually cooled the oil so you know we built this as we'd ever have to drive this thing we could anywhere i mean that was the goal was to make it okay it's you're not gonna ruin it if you take it out but we wanted to make sure that we really would work but back to the engine, uh, we used motorcycle exhaust, mm-hmm. which I think that was the look. We had 
guy down in SoCal back then made the um, the headers for us out of stainless. Um, we make our own now. We've learned how to do that, so we can do that ourselves. Um, geez, there's just so many little pieces. The engine had a lot of complex pieces happening all at the same time. I mean, and the, very the, different. The engine's just a monster in and of itself, just yeah. because the the amount of time it had to take to put into doing that engine was just unbelievable. I mean, you look at it and it looks like it, it looks like it doesn't run. Like it looks so nice. There's no way that that thing runs. And because of the in the VW class, I, I got a friend of mine who took first place at a car show. His car didn't even start. He just put a stuff. He didn't even have a fan I Put a stuffed animal in the engine compartment and took first place. It was people's choice, and people don't. People just go for that flash and bang, and then they're out of there. They don't pay attention to the details. And you know, with with this thing being such a work of art, you know, it, it's it's incredible that it runs. I'm astonished by that. Um, with some of the body mods you have on there. Like one of the ones for me, and I think it was, was it with Crystal Blue Persuasion 2? Did it have the rear quarter window was filled in? That was, on, I think that was on, uh, that was on Rod Buster. Because I, I wanted that smooth look. Yeah. I wanted, you know, which is like, now it's the glue in windshields now, which everybody has. Which, right, flush fit windows. Which they don't have back then. We, mm-hmm. we, we kind of started that idea yeah. for us anyway. Yeah, it's it, it, the quarter window on that car doesn't roll. It's a fixed window that right. sits up there. Now, one of the big things was, the interior right you got the batman yeah. style cockpit steering wheel mm-hmm. and you've got the dash and i saw a video of the car when it was on display and i'd never seen the car live on display and the video that was on youtube it showed these flashing lights mm-hmm. in the dashboard well we've again again when you go in isca you got to be five feet out in front of them to get their attention so we wanted and, and i'd been to a show in vegas and i saw a guy had a sequential digital lights back then that was a big thing yeah okay i want to be out in front of that so we come up with a system where had a full digital dash we had um television i mean it was I'm yeah, sorry it's a, but it's so corny but we had a television a four inch tv <laughs> screen but i mean it, it was it's, a big thing back then yeah eight, 1985 the only thing's got a tv and it's a limousine right? right and uh credit card was started and of course we made sure that the dash wrapped around and it kind of came down the side so the dash the, the side panels on the door panels are kind of extension of the dash and they integrate into the dash like the right. newer cars when you right. open the door right. and the door splits right. to kind of bring a wrap around dashboard and the thing you probably you have to look at the details is the front bulkhead where all the pedals one when i designed all the pedal systems and i used uh even the, the clutch and the brakes were all of course hydraulic mm-hmm. because i could just run an a, a small thin line for hydraulic I had to run uh, brake lines. I mean, I ran like brake lines to make those work, and that worked out good. Uh, just tried to get the interior all flow in. The back seat was gone because that's where we kept the batteries, the fuel cell, uh, the brains for the uh, the Bosch system. I did run two batteries. Uh, the fan system was back there. I had, I ran the rear deck lid opened and closed with a winch. Yeah, with Acme threads because that since we end up putting you look at all the body parts, the hood and the rear deck lid. We put a skin on the inside of it. I mean, it's not just the VW skin. We actually put a flat skin on both right. sides of to it to conceal, like to to hide some of the hide some of the pieces you're talking. Well, just about. Just like the look. The, we wanted a yeah. smooth look. We wanted that baby butt smooth look. Yeah. All everything was smooth on the car. I mean, there was not a place you would not find anything smooth. And we showed, you know, when I assess a vehicle, I look for anything that it doesn't look complete finished. So we finished every square inch of that car. When I go and judge a car now that's in full custom, 
I judge every square inch of that to make sure everything is finished everywhere. Even in places sometimes you can't see need to be finished. And w- w- so this car, you get this thing together. You, you, we talked about the dash. You get the swivel seats, the swivel seat interior. Um, we talked about the front suspension. Now, for years, it was bothering me about the wheels. Like I looked at the wheels, and they looked <laughs> they looked so familiar to me. It's like you see somebody you just can't figure out where you know them from. Now, is that something you want to tell people, or do you want to keep no, that no, a secret? No, no, it's fine. You uh, want to keep it a secret? No, no, I don't okay. mind telling you. And you know, um, it's crazy because when I was showing ISCA, it was not uncommon for the guys back then to spend five or six thousand dollars for a set of custom made billet wheels. And I said, okay, I'm from Bakersfield, I'm driving a Volkswagen. I'm not going to spend five or six thousand dollars for a set of wheels. So one day I was driving. Hold, hold on, this coming from the guy that billet machined to every single part and piece in the car. But that's okay, you know. It's, you know, you got, you got to have principle. Principle sometimes. There's a kicks limit. In. There's a limit. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's pride. Right. I mean, I, I've got to be in touch. I don't want. I want to be in charge of everything. That's terrible about me. But I was driving down Rosedale Highway, which is around us. I saw a guy had a set of Mustang wheels bolted up to a light pole for sale. <laughs> For, like it was 150 bucks. That's the old Craigslist. It was called Craig's Chain. Like yeah. it's, it's on Craig's Chain to the light pole. Those wheels are for sale. Right. So I said, oh, I'm going to buy those. I mean, I, I I had a vision that I could, okay, I can think machine think now. I said, I can put that in the mill and I can create a new pattern. So we took those Mustang wheels, mm-hmm. brought them back because it, we had our bolt pattern was four bolt bolt pattern. Right. Because originally I had T-Bird wheels on it at one time. So, which is the four bolt T bird, which is kind of cool looking. Right. So I said, okay, I want to be different. So um, we put in we, we we knew where the holes were. So we put it. We digitized everything and got it in the in the computer. Then we created a new bolt pattern. I mean, not a new bolt pattern, but a new uh, pattern in the wheels. Yeah. So you, people look at it and say, hey, I've never seen those wheels you, before. Because you changed the actual spoke design, like yes. the, the wheel cut yes, is yes. what is, which is why I could never pin that wheel. Like I know that wheel; it looks really <laughs> familiar. And I kept thinking, like, is it on an Escort? Is it what? And and when you said Mustang, I'm thinking the Mustang SVO wheels. Yes. Or yes. there there was a specialty wheel that they had that was an aluminum wheel and. Once I saw it, then I saw it. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. for the life of me, I couldn't figure it out. And and it was one of those things where I looked at the car and I thought, I thought, this guy's got all this is what this is my this is my first impression when I saw the car. This guy's got all this billet stuff. He didn't even make his own wheels. Well, you know, you just sometimes you but it's just aluminum and just a matter of cutting it. And yeah. I mean, I could have taken a a a blank wheel. You can buy blanks that uh-huh. don't have a pattern in them and machined our own pattern, but everybody does that. I just wanna I wanna I wanna trick these guys, think I have something more expensive than it was and really it's almost like if you put too much on the wheels maybe people aren't going to pay attention to some of the other details that you have right right, right. so we talked about the wheels um and go and going on that cart now, now i wanted to bring up what a lot of people don't know we t- you just talked to me about this and when i was building my type 34 gear of course everybody go take a shot now because i brought up one of my cars again when i was building my car you built another car with all the takeoffs from Crystal Blue Persuasion. That's correct. It was a 64 uh, Carmagia convertible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got all the hand-me-downs from uh, from Rodbuster. Uh, you know, and it was it was good. It was a good rate. And plus, it gave me something to drive that I could drive anywhere, anytime. And did you drive this car a lot? Did you drive infrared quite a bit? Yes. It, it would go anywhere, anytime car. Now, if you guys are, are, are wanting to follow along on the May of 2005, and I'll have it in the blog section, May of 2005, Hot VWs, they go through the top 10 Gias. And 
interestingly enough, he has two of the top 10. So you got 20% of the list covered, <laughs> uh, which, is, which is pretty strong for a guy from Bakersfield, right? Absolutely. I mean, Especially when we're uphill fighting all the time. <laughs> right. So um, Crystal Blue Persuasion, you've had that up until recently for, for quite a while. And then you just recently just sold that. Car, yeah, that right? was inf- called Infrared because they call her Infrared. And I had sold it to a real nice guy in Ohio, and he's a uh, aircraft mechanic in Perfect because air cooled. You know that's that's a good business. And yeah. uh, he bought it for his wife, and he was pleased. And um, and it was running when it left here, and I made sure that it ran. And it, 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 interestingly enough, what brought us up by the topic was as we were talking about the infrared off off tape. Um, he had built this car off of, like, there's no sense in throwing away all these good parts, right? You got all these That's cool correct. parts. Right. So right. you just start, oh, this is, this is half off building the next car. And so <laughs> when I built my carbon cab, I used the six piston brakes, the motor that I bought for the Gia, uh, a, a bunch of parts, at least a bunch of core parts that I bought that didn't get used on my type 34, got used on my crew cab bus. And so it's one of those things where that's the car guy makes sense, right? Instead of selling a thousand dollar something, You'll buy a five hundred dollar car and then put another twenty five, thirty thousand dollars into it to save, not wasting the thousand dollars <laughs> on the part, right? Because it just makes sense to repurpose and reuse. That's we're the sick side of it. Yeah, we're the original recyclers. The the, the the car guys are the original recyclers. Well, I say we repurpose things. That's right. We're about big in repurposing. Repurpose everything. So you get the car. It all the chassis done. Everything's ready to go. Paint job on this car. Well, you know, actually. Tim, who's here today, painted this car for me. Really? Yes, he uh, he works with me, and uh, he painted the candy apple mm-hmm. on it in uh, the black roof. Then on the uh, the graphics, I brought Craig Frazier in, local guy who did it. Not the same guy. Now, the first time I used a different person on the graphics, I used Jay Werner. Second time that we did it, I used that Craig Frazier. And, and Jay Werner did the original graphics on yes, it. Yes, yes. The original graphics <laughs> that look like this biomechanical... Uh, it kind of looks like the ter- if the Terminator had a car and he was a little smaller, he'd mm-hmm. drive the Gia, right? That's correct. And absolutely. And it's candy apple red, and then you do, uh, it's all airbrush graphics. That's correct. Which is correct. cutting edge at the time. And then now we're going to get into what happened to it not too long ago and why the whole car was. The, here's where the sickness goes. He redoes the car again, but before that, so you finish the car. First debut at the show, what's the response? Oh, it was absolutely. Uh, Oakland Roaster Show was where we debuted it. Okay, so just to be clear, I just want to clarify this. The first place, a lot of us VW guys, like our big thing is like, I'm the classic. I'm debuting at the VW Classic. I'm debuting at the VW Classic. And it's like, to to some extent, you're preaching the choir, bringing, bringing sand to the beach. <laughs> you, you, know, you know what I'm saying? So you decide because... These hot rod guys need to be taught a lesson that you're going to debut this Carmen Gia at the Oakland Roadster Show. Absolutely, and I got to know the uh, the owner, which was uh, Harold Bagasarian back then, and and actually he was he was kind of and and also Blackie, who's been around forever in our in our culture. Uh, they followed me my first year and you know year or two in ISCA, and then they knew that I was coming out with something strong. And uh, we talked about debuting at the Oakland Roaster Show, and we did. And it, and I had a I had a display which was sixty inches up in the air, turntable twenty by twenty. I mean, full bore, and I still have the display; it's available. Yeah. And the cool part is, is we won the Sloniker Award for a Volkswagen that year, which is the first time that I'm aware of a Volkswagen ever winning the Sloniker Award. Now, because a lot of you're starting. 
Okay, here's where we go to you setting benchmarks again. Mm -hmm. Just two years ago, two or three years ago, uh, our car club, uh, DBK, was invited to the Oakland Roadster Show. Or not Oakland Roadster, but the uh, Pomona Roadster Show. And it was a big deal because VWs were going to be allowed in it. And then last year there were some VWs in it. And then, you know, and my Gia didn't make it in because I didn't have it run at the time and whatever. Mm -hmm. Um but that was like a big deal three, four years ago. Like they're letting Volkswagens in at the Roadster show. Well, absolutely. In fact, I was scheduled to be there in January with this car on display. I've been working with Buck and Kevin to have it there. And this COVID thing coming on, now they've moved the, the show to May, which unfortunately I, I do vintage trailers. We have a vintage Airstream motorhome. And, you know, I've paid that. I, you know, we've had to pay two years in advance to even get in this show. And there was a five-year waiting list to go to this event for the trailer show. For the trailer show, and unfortunately, they scheduled the new date for the show, so I will not be at the uh, roaster show. This no, year. I'll take it for him, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Over his dead body, like yeah, let reckless Bill tow that thing down there. We got nothing but problems. <laughs> as long as you have an insurance policy, yeah. two million dollars, we got a deal. <laughs> so, so. Um, so back to you setting benchmarks, you, I mean, VWs were not a thing you were ever going to see at a Roadster show back in the day. Well, they were there, but they were like, uh, they, they were, were bulk and filler. They were exactly, they were filler cars. They were filler it was, cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like for a car to be in the contender. So let's talk about the, 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 what type of cars have won the Snoniker Award and what is, the, what is the significance of the Snoniker Award? Well, basically when the Oakland Roadster show, which is the Grand National now, of course, the big thing is the Roadster deal mm-hmm. and they picked. I think they pick the top eight or top 10 that go for that and they get a special. It's somewhat like the Riddler. And it's very prestigious to win that award. I mean, there's some of the top roadsters in the world have won that award. But that's just for that one class, which is roadsters, not cabriolets, but mm-hmm. roadsters. Well, the rest of the show qualifies for the Sloniker Award. And the Sloniker Award is everything but the roadsters right because the roadsters have their own award right there's got to be something for everybody else and we competed against everybody else so it was open class anything that wasn't a roadster that wasn't specifically a roadster class you went head-to-head with everybody at the oakland roadster show absolutely and um uh in fact the uh harold uh, baggy came up to me and says chris is this isn't the same car you showed before i said no we did modify the vin number it's got a different vin and he says you won the you won the Sloniker Award, which is kind of like little bitty plaque, but right. it has so much prestige. That's probably the of all the awards I won. That was probably the one that meant the most to us. And did you take this? So you're kind of in this show circuit at the time. Hot VWs chases you down to get you featured in the magazine. But do you at this time are you? Are you going to VW shows or you're uh, well, not? Well, it's so much work to go to a show for a single day and turn it around. Like it, you're not going or, or. Well, that's why we built infrared. So we could take infrared to the VW show. And, you know, to take this, to take Rodbuster to a VW show is, I think it's, you know. Overkill. It's, it's overkill, honestly. And I don't mean that negatively. No. And we built infrared, which is the technology of Volkswagens at that time, mm-hmm. mainstream. And that car fit right in. It was a good fit for those events. And interestingly enough, you th- you would think you'd get way more praise from Rodbuster by the VW people, but because VW people, the the hardcore VW people are so weird about customization, right? That right. people can appreciate them. Like it's like the VW world appreciates a mild custom more than a full blown custom. I tend to agree with you, and, and I, I think, and I think you know the, the dichotomy between the two cars is definitely shows the distinct difference between 
ISCA show circuit and VW show circuit. And the VW has obviously been coming up quite a bit. Absolutely. Um, and, and and the evolution, it's funny, the evolution of the detail, level of detail of the cars and the innovation has to be so subtle because it has to be kept within the parameters of like this purest group. You know, as soon as, like I've got a split window coming out. Everybody take a shot because I just mentioned one of my cars again. I got a split window coming out and it's got the A-arm chassis on, full A-arm chassis on yeah. it that's done by um, uh, Cool Rides Customs. And even that car being a 51 split window on that chassis, in my opinion, people are going to like the car whether they want to or not just because it's just going to have such a, a cool look to it. But, uh, you know, that that VW people have just such a, such a um, focus on it maintaining VW. You, you know and, what I mean? And I understand that, and I, and I respect that, and I appreciate that. In fact, right now I'm building a, a, a double cab, which is me, my shop truck, and, and we've actually only made one or two minor modifications, and it's just going to be a runner that we want to get in and go anywhere and enjoy it, and we'll fit right in, and it's uh, – and and that's where that culture is going right now is yeah. more uh, more vintage. Well, I get it. I, I get it. I, I mean, for sure, the, the Rodbuster was so far ahead of its time. So you never really showed it. Well, you do have a huge trophy in there from Al Martinez for one of the shows. I believe that was Brown's Gia. Is it really? I think that was from Brown's Gia. I, so, I think about that. I that's a good question. I'll yeah. look that up. I have some photos from then. So, so you have, I mean, the cars received numerous awards of many different, in many different iterations from when it was Brown's Gia to Blue Persuasion to, to, to Rodbuster. And then now this car was redone again in 2011. Yeah. What happened is we got invited to go to Sweden and great now, people. Over now, there. hold on. A lot of the VW you and me, we're, we're hybrids, right? We, we dip our toe in the hot rods and we come back. My heart, just like yours, is in Volkswagens. But Sweden has one of the biggest hot rod shows. It's just, it's it's a monster event, isn't it? I mean, what's, yes. what, what's the yes. name? I mean, it's it's yes. unbelievably gigantic. Yes, in Jokenberg. Yes. And what's this? What's the name of the show? And oh, what's. Oh, gosh. If, I, so, if it slips your mind, it's all right. Listen, yeah. there's so I much. I have a trophy and go look at it. <laughs> But you get invited to come to the show. So how does this all come about? Because well, the car has been in under yeah. wraps forever. Well, yeah, they they was well, this was a couple of years after we had uh, we took it off the circuit, the ISCA. Mm-hmm. They call me up and uh, they said, "Well, would you like to bring it to uh, Sweden in Jokenberg for our big show in Europe?" And I said, "That's fine," but they were kind of late in the game, so they had to fly it over in an airplane. Well, flying it over an airplane was okay, except. They didn't tell me it was going to freeze inside, and it did did some paint damage to it. So unfortunately, back with the chemicals we used back then aren't like the chemicals today. It pretty much and and we had some fillers in there. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to say we didn't. We had fillers in there, and it uh, it caused damage to the paint. And and that's one of the things I wanted to talk about too. Back then, when you guys were when you would do a car like this, it's get it straight enough. Use this new cutting edge technology yeah. filler that saves tons of time, gets it dead straight, lasts forever asterisk until you put it in an airplane and it freezes <laughs> other than that it's gonna last forever yeah. and so now when you take the car back apart in 2011 or repaint this car you now body work it and finish metal work, it metal work metal work it yes. to today's standards yes. so 
because there's a lot of people have seen that you know this resurgence of the 80s cars people run out and go buy an 80s car like oh it's so cool and then they like with the started standing on a piece of the deck and there's three quarters of an inch of filler in yeah. there yeah. and that's just what they did back in the 80s and 90s and so now Rodbuster 5.0 here has been rebody worked and repaint finished to today's level of customization which is by no means a low i mean it's it's in it's intense. And then you took the liberty to change the graphics a bit. Well, of course. Uh, back then, uh, Blackie Gian, who put who puts on the Autorama in Fresno, is one of the most prestigious shows on the West Coast, in my opinion. Invitation only. And he gives uh, an eight-foot trophy to uh, the top three, which is the custom, the truck, and the uh, uh, street rod. Mm-hmm. And we won it back there with Rodbuster twice. We won, that, we won it with Crystal Blue, and we also won it with... Rod Bluster, we got two of those trophies. You're not supposed to do that, but we changed the name, changed the VIN, two different cars. Right. Well, he put his 50th on a couple of years back, and Blackie was always a good friend and a mentor. And we repainted the car for that one show. Really? Yeah, all that for that one show, and it's not been out since. So when when that paint got damaged, like you get to Sweden and you see this paint, mm-hmm. like you, you look at it and you're thinking like, I can't. Uh, okay, I got to ask a question everybody's asking. I'm assuming they paid to fly it out there. Oh, of course, they paid both directions. They paid us. They paid us money to go over there. They set us up. They paid all of our expenses. I mean, it was a, a two week vacation to Sweden. Not from a Chevy, for a Volkswagen. For a Volkswagen, but <laughs> don't forget it's Europe. And oh no, forget, no, no! Europe, I love it. European people. I love it. I love it. I think it's yeah. so cool because this car that you that you think listen, all it took was you building this impossible car. Mm-hmm. To get a free trip to Sweden. I mean, hey, that's, that's a deal. good. That, that's good. The car guy can justify it. Yeah. It's yeah. totally one day. This will get me to Sweden. Yeah. But Bill Sports. That was the name. Bill Sports. Yeah, Bill Sports. Bill Sports. Yeah. So you get to the show. The plane. The, the car comes off the plane, and what kind of scene do you see there? Well, you know, the, the damage was. Um, I won't say it was micro. You had to get down with about a foot to see the damage because it was starting to crystallize Did a little bit. Did it shrink? Bit. Like it no, shrank it crystallized. Up. Kind of crystallization was starting to show underneath. Really? And um, it wasn't as apparent. It got worse when it when it got back, of course. Uh, then we said, okay, well, it's going to do what we got to do. Now, in the show circuit, there was uh, there was – who was your main competition Volkswagen-wise? Who were the guys that you were uh, – in, in, Back when it was with, back, with back version, in the 80s, back, back in the 80s when Rod Buster comes out or maybe. Oh, no, I really during, didn't show it. Rod Buster in a VW. Crystal world. Blue Persuasion. I would say um, Peaches and Scream. Really? He was a good we were friends. Then I had uh, Steve Kinnett who worked on the car. Then mm-hmm. after we, we built the car, he started to, uh, he wanted to build a, a notch to compete against us. Right. And uh, then it got to be competitive, and it kind of destroyed our friendship after that. Really? Because it got competitive. And, and you know, I am Mr. Competitive. I mean. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I always took a second place as the first loser. And, you know, and I, unfortunately, if I played a game, if I play, I play to win. And right. I don't put 100% of my energy to do that. And mm-hmm. people always judged me from the last event. When I get to the next event, I've already went five steps forward again. So, but Steve Connett was a good competitor, and um, and he was a good person. He helped me a lot with things. Him and his dad, and of course George Delfino did a really nice uh, uh, Type Three. Also, those are both really nice cars. They're they're gone now somewhere. 
Now those cars uh, back in the I mean back in the 80s Japan was coming here and buying up all yes. kinds of vehicles. I sold cars over there, yes. Yeah, my brother sold his Squareback, thought he cut a fat hog by getting 6 grand for it and he, re- uh-huh. he regrets it to this yeah. day. Um but both so both those cars, I mean I, I would think who owns their car after all these years and it's still in it's top not shape. They're out there somewhere. I think I've seen them for sale come up, you know. And of course they haven't maintained them or taken care of mm-hmm. them and we've tried to keep ours in a pristine environment. Yeah, yeah, yours is definitely it's it's in in a sealed, safe environment, yeah, conditioned. Yeah, yeah, it's it's incredible the 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 way that you store that car. But I mean, I can tell by the way that you're you're a car guy through and through, and you know, I can tell the way that you store this car. This car means a lot to you. You know, oh, you've yeah. got. I mean, this this car. And and I don't have you built a car to. I don't think you've built a car to this level since because I think you learned. Maybe you learned your lesson. Well, not really. Um, I right well, after no, this, I, I take that back because yeah. I saw the hot rod. And the, yeah, no, yes. I can't even say that. But it's just a, it's just such a different level now. Yeah, and you know, it's it's a different philosophy. I mean, like I mean, less is more. Well, you know, it's pretty is as pretty does. Right, Maybe that's what it is. I mean, I've I built a roadster right after this with a with a square t- with a round tube chassis that is. It's just as complex as Rod Buster, mm-hmm. and uh, technologically, it was it's a sprint car with a street rod body on it. Was that car featured? Uh, never has been featured. Really, never been featured. We we really in the hot rod world, you know, we 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 had enough with the Volkswagens of you know of chasing magazines. We decided we're not doing this anymore. We're gonna we build our cars for Chris and Betty. We're not building for anybody else. Mm-hmm. We're not building for judges. We're building for ourselves. Rod Buster was the last car I built to, to impress judges. Anything I build right now is for Chris and Betty and things that we can enjoy. We can go out and we can tear them up a little bit. We can get a ticket once in a while and I got my share. Yeah. And we want to enjoy our cars. But at the same time, we want to bring in a technology and a level of quality that's mm-hmm. uh, that's standard setting. Yeah. It, it's definitely, it definitely shows in, in all the cars that I've seen in your collection. I mean, everything is done to it's a degree above i mean they're 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 driving show cars Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and depending on how much you're going to drive it is how much you start detailing the undercarriage and things to that degree because i mean you've gotten to the point where and and probably the, the 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 difficult thing with rod busters it's like it's a car that you only drive it in your head because to drive it is almost to take it is to is is to destroy the car almost. it would devalue it yeah it would devalue it like you saw my uh 33 roadster out out uh in the other garage it's um it's just as nice on the top as the bottom and the chassis is is detailed as well as rod buster but it doesn't have all the billet technology in it because right now believe it or not in in the hot rod world we're kind of like we're not doing billet right in fact we, that, that roadster which i showed you out there doesn't have much billet at all on it. We mm-hmm. fabricated everything out of steel and metal and painted it. Yeah. And if it is billet, it's painted, so you can't see billet. The idea is to make it look like it came from the factory that way. That's our philosophy now is building cars that look like they came from the factory. But but nobody but it's the only one. Yeah. There's nothing else in the world like it. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a one off, one off yeah. type thing. So this car get the the, the gear gets put away, but it I mean really when you're at this level with Rodbuster, the only time it's really featured for VWs is just the VW magazine. You're not going to the VW show circuit because most of those shows, like we said earlier, are one day and done. Yeah. And the amount of time it takes to set this car up to really be able to appreciate it. The only place it can be appreciated is the 
is uh, the ISCA events, you know. Some of the indoor venues, and we've been asked by a lot of people to bring it out, but we're just, uh, you know, and plus, you know, I don't want to go out there. We definitely will never compete this car again because yeah. it's, I'm not the kind of person to go win another $2 trophy. I mean, right. if, if it does something for, for somebody that's positive or for charity, yes, we'll consider it. But our mission is to, um, you know, it's retired. Yeah. It's retired. No, it's a, uh, listen, it's a, it's a phenomenal car. I mean, it's so much, so much technology in this car benchmarks so many things that were, I mean, from the graphics inside the fender well to, to the inboard shocks, to the inboard brakes, to the custom A-arms, to the twin superchargers. There's so many things that were done on Rodbuster that you never saw again for 20 years. And when you saw them 20 years later, I was like, look at this new thing. And meanwhile, I just got to go back to 1985. Yeah, it's uh, definitely, VWs. Uh, and it's, it's there. Time. Right, right. Well, and, and if you guys, you know, if you find your old issue or even get this, get the issue of May 2005, you can go through and, and appreciate just the tip of the iceberg on this car because there's just so much, there's so much going on with this, with this car that, you know, was later, were ideas of yours so long ago and then other people are just now thinking of them and maybe they've been kept a secret for so long because it was a Volkswagen and because a lot of the hot rod guys were more, instead of looking at what you really did, they were just more angry that they lost. Oh, absolutely. And I had so many guys come up to me, Hey, you put a 32 body on that. And my gosh, you got a really cool car. <laughs> I had so many guys at the show, hot rodders come up and say that. And I said, okay, well, you know, do what you want to do, but I'll be a lot more aerodynamic and you'll be. Yeah. No, this is, uh, uh, I, I can't thank you enough for letting me come in and, and do the podcast and the interview on here. Did you want to, before we wrap up, anybody you wanted to, I mean, obviously anybody you wanted to thank and, and give credit to for, uh, well, you know, any project like this or any car project isn't about I, me, my, it's about a team. And the most important thing, if you're going to put together a serious contender car, you put together the best team that you can have. You know, Rod Buster, you know, I had a machinist that was a top-notch guy. He let me, he listened to what I was saying mm -hmm. and let me program what I wanted to, to create. And he created those parts. And the painter understood the concept and the body mods that we wanted. And the interior guy really knew that we wanted something that was over the top. And he really listened to us and did what he wanted. And the, and the guy painting the graphics, the Frasers and the, and the Werners, really captured the thoughts that we want. And, you know, it's a team. It's not just... Chris, it's everybody behind us. And of course, a wife that fully supports this. I mean, yeah. she's as much a gearhead as I she, am. She is. I can attest that she's got her own little fleet of cars yeah. and her bug cashmere. I posted something on Instagram about cashmere today out there in that car. Still that car, it, the perfect thing I like about, about her car is it has that eighties look and it doesn't look dated. It's got 33,000 miles on it. I mean, she drives the heck out of the car. I mean, to the point yeah. where, you know, I was talking to you guys, you have CBs in that car because when you guys used to go to car shows, yes. you would just CB back and forth to communicate on the right. on the road to driving. And, right, right. And, uh, man, I th I just think it's awesome. I mean, you guys are definitely some some genuine people, and that's the thing I love about the most about the Volkswagen scene is it just brings people together for the love of the car and and there's the mutual appreciation for the work that's gone into it man and i can't thank you enough for what you've done for the scene um i mean it it it's an honor to be able to sit here and interview you for this and and to be able to see the car in person and it's just been so great to be able to get some of the details behind the stories uh behind the build of what it was because there's this car is so far out 
it was so long ago there's very little footage of the car action on display and on display by itself it looked like it was alive you know what i mean thank you so great car i appreciate you coming on the podcast and i'm sure you know i'm sure this won't be the last time we see or hear from you so uh I, I appreciate your time, man, and thanks for thanks for coming on the, the podcast. My pleasure. If you liked that podcast, and I know you did, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, this week's shout-out goes to Ron Dean from Wilsonville, Oregon. Picked up some merch, a sticker pack, and a shirt, so appreciate your support. Also got an email from uh, Mike LaMedica and uh, told me – He's got some VW problems, man. He's got a couple extra Volkswagens, and he's trying to figure out which ones to keep and uh, which ones to get rid of. I told him to keep them all, plus his cutlass, too. So appreciate you guys reaching out to me. You guys need to get a hold of me. It's Bill at LetstalkDubs.com. Until next week, everybody, later. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have a